Hello, and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin's online worship service, where we gather virtually and in spirit every Sunday morning. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson, Minister for Program Development here at the church, and I want to welcome all of you to the service. If you're new to the church, I especially want to welcome you and invite you, if you have access to the comments, to let us know from where you're watching the service. If you have access to the comments, you'll also see a link that will take you to our online visitor form. We'd love for you to fill that out so we can get to know you a little bit better. Unitarian Universalists come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. Let's connect those divine sparks now, either by greeting each other in the comments or simply sensing the heartstring connections that bind us together. I invite you now to say the chalice lighting words with me if you were moved to do so. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Madeline Sophia Long LeCamp was a white American writer of fiction, non-fiction, poetry, and young adult fiction, including A Wrinkle in Time and its sequels. Much of her work was touched both by her Christian faith and her awe at modern science. She wrote, It's no coincidence that just at this point in our insight into our mysteriousness as human beings struggling towards compassion, we are also moving into an awakened interest in the language of myth and fairy tale. The language of logical arguments, of proofs, is the language of the limited self we know and can manipulate. But the language of parable and poetry, of storytelling, moves from the imprisoned language of the provable into the freed language of what I must, for lack of another word, continue to call faith. Side. 
that helps us feel connected with each other even when we can't gather together in person is to have a common purpose. For First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, that common purpose is our mission. We hold it in our heart all week long and we say it together every Sunday. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. morning. Do you ever imagine that you are a character in a story and that sometimes your story goes the way you think it should and sometimes the story doesn't go the way you think it should? What happens then? What happens when we're not the character we think we are or our story doesn't go the way we think it's supposed to go? Let's read a story about a character whose story does not go the way he thinks it's supposed to. A Perfectly Messed Up Story by Patrick McDonald. This is Louie's story. Once upon a time, little Louie went skipping merrily along. Tra-la-la-la-la, he sang. For in his heart, Louie knew everything was just... Hey! Hold on! What's that? Sniff, sniff. Lick, lick. A jelly stain? How did that get there? This isn't right. Who would eat a jelly sandwich while reading my book? Plop. Jelly and peanut butter? Ah, the chunky kind. Hey, hey, hey. Somebody's fingerprints are all over this. Oh, no. What next? Orange juice? Ah, my story is getting all messed up. We need to show some respect here. Books are important. They teach us stuff and they inspire us. Now, can I please get on with my story? Thank you. Okay, from the top. 
Once upon a time, little Louie went skipping merrily along. Tra-la-la-la-la. La. You have got to be kidding. This is awful. Quick, get a paper towel. Rub, rub, rub. Careful, careful. Ah, this is the worst thing ever. What am I going to do? Once upon a time. Stop. Forget it. My story is ruined. It's all over. I'm just in a messy old book that will end up in some garage sale. A book no one will ever want, read, or love. I give up. Go on without me. This is Louie's story. Who cares? Once upon a time, little Louie went skipping merrily along. Tra-la-la-la-la, he sang. Oh, life was so much simpler back then. For in his heart, Louie knew everything was just... What? Just what? Fine. Wow. Everything is fine. I'm still here. You're still reading. And it is a pretty good story, messes and all. So come on, let's finish this. This is Louie's story. I love it, and nothing is going to stop me. The End The words of writer Arundhati Roy, an Indian writer who is best known for her book, The God of Small Things. She's also a human rights activist. She says this, Writers imagine that they call stories from the world. I'm beginning to believe vanity makes them think so. That it's actually the other way around, that stories call writers from the world. Stories reveal themselves to us. The public narrative, the private narrative, they colonize us, they commission us, they insist on being told. Fiction and nonfiction are only different techniques of storytelling. For reasons I don't fully understand, fiction dances out of me, and nonfiction is wrenched out by the aching, broken world I wake up to every morning. This is the time in our service where together we center ourselves. Some pray, some meditate, some simply concentrate on their breath. We breathe together, and breathing together, we feel those heartstring connections that help us turn virtual space into beloved religious community. Breathing in, breathing out, in and out, we follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom, that place within where the spark of the divine resides.
continuing our breathing, we'll have a moment of music, during which I invite you, if you wish, to also light a candle, representing joys, sorrows, hopes, remembrances. Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters, which were under the firmament, from the waters which were above it. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. The sky world woman. Back at the beginning, the world that we know now as earth was nothing but water, while above it was a larger, more ancient world. Above it was the sky world. 
And a woman from the sky world who was very curious had dug a hole in that sky world. She dug and dug until she dug all the way through and fell into the hole and out the other side of it. And so it was that this sky woman came tumbling down toward the vast ocean of water that was the whole of our world at that time. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed and the fruit that yields fruit according to its kind. And it was so. Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth. Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth. And it was so. Now, Living upon our ancient watery world were all manner of water animals. And the animals looked up to the heavens and saw the sky world woman falling toward them at an altogether alarming rate of speed. And so the geese and ducks and other water birds flew up to her, forming a net with their bodies and catching her as she fell, bringing her gently to the face of the waters where they placed her on the back of a giant sea turtle. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created male, then female. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Well, now the sky world woman and the water world animals had a problem because the sea turtle couldn't hold her up forever and the woman really wasn't a very good swimmer. One of the animals, many say it was the platypus, recalled that there might be a substance called mud deep below the surface of the waters and perhaps that could be brought up to create something upon which the woman could rest. And so, one by one, the animals began trying to dive as deep as they could in search of mud. The pelicans tried, a walrus tried, and on and on, but each of them returned to the surface without having been able to go deep enough to bring up any mud. Well, finally, the otter tried. It was gone a very, very long time under the waters until they all feared it had drowned. Suddenly, though, it popped to the surface of the waters, a scoop of mud in its paw. The sky woman spread the mud on the back of the turtle and began to sing and dance upon it. And the animals sang and danced with her. And the mud began to spread and separate the waters until there was plenty of muddy land for the woman to live upon, as well as some of the animals who had decided to go with her. Now, you probably know the rest of the biblical Genesis story. God puts Adam and Eve into a great garden, a perfect world of beauty and bliss where all their needs are met. He tells them there is only one rule. They may not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They do so anyway. Most tellings of this story blame the woman, and an angry God thrust them out of the garden and into a howling wilderness, after which much toiling, trouble, sinning, and suffering ensue. 
In our other story this morning, which I found through the work of two Native American writers and storytellers, Robin Wall Kimmerer and Thomas King, the Sky Woman gives birth to twins who work with the animals to mold the mud into mountains, valleys, and plains, as well as to cut rivers and streams through it. From the seeds the woman had in her hand from all her digging before she fell, they placed upon the land all of the plants and vegetations that the animals and early humans would need for food and shelter. Now, let's think about some of the key themes and elements of the Genesis creation story. There is a formality to it. It creates a hierarchical world. God, then humans, then animals and plants. Humans are given dominion over all other life. We have an omnipotent male God who speaks all of creation into existence in a solitary individual act. We have humans being given abundance and then because of their original sin being thrown into scarcity. The world is a competitive place. God versus Satan. Humans versus the elements and each other. We have woman made second and often blamed for the original sin. We have harmony being transformed into chaos. Let's think about what sort of culture might arrive with, arise with this creation mythology. One that's hierarchical, staid and individualistic. One that focuses on competition and scarcity. Perhaps it might become a culture that values power over others. And, this, and then could easily become warlike. Could justify imperialism, colonization, slavery, racism, and other forms of oppression. A culture that is found foundationally patriarchal and that sees the world as a resource to be exploited. Now let's think about how the themes from the Sky Woman creation story are quite different from this. It is far less formal, even playful. There's no omnipotent God. Instead, the humans and the animals start with, with divine-like abilities. Working in cooperation, the humans and the animals bring the world into being, turn chaos into harmony. They exist communally, communally with far more balance and equity. No human dominion here. The original human is female, and the story has a maternal quality to it. So with this as a creation myth, what sort of culture and society might we form? Might it not be very different? Now, I have oversimplified. Still, the differences are stark. The power our stories have over us at a very fundamental level as individuals and as communities and societies is clear. We are storytelling creatures. We make sense of our experiences by folding them into a narrative that our brains are constantly constructing and reconstructing. And this is vital to know, because once we let a story loose in our world, we can never really take it back. We can only change the telling of it or create a competing narrative. Now, of course, these stories are not meant to be read as literally historically true. They're, they're mythological. They're, they're to be read as metaphor, as poetic and symbolic. Reading them as too literal is a mistake we often accuse fundamentalists of making. Yet, I think we too 
we liberal religionists can do this in a sort of reverse way by also reading the stories as too literally and thereby dismissing them without considering the poetic meaning and beauty we might find through them. Many of you are likely familiar with the Christian story of the virgin birth of Jesus, the divine Son of God whom God sends to the earth only that he might die on the cross to wash our depravity clean with his very blood. So whoever believes in him will not ever really perish but rise again as he did after his crucifixion. Now, I personally can't take this story in a literal sense. And the way it often gets told, I think sometimes embodies values and ideas that I believe are harmful. Violence, human depravity, redemption through suffering, the spilling of blood and death. There are other ways these mythological stories can be told, though, with a poetry that's much more life-giving, much more loving. Here's an example. Once there was a spark of divinity that arose out of humanity's highest aspirations for living more fully, with more love, compassion, and joy. And this spark lured humans toward the more life-giving, life-fulfilling choices available to them within the creative possibilities of their universe. But the evils of avarice, jealousy, and tribalism obscured their ability to see these creative choices that were being offered to them. The powerful couldn't see past their dominance and greed. The poor and oppressed were prevented from reaching for their full potential. Still, there was good in humans. And this found expression in the story of a child. A child who represented our highest human aspirations. In the story, the child grows into a wise leader, teaching others the healing power of love, drawing them toward compassion, calling on them to give preference to the poor and oppressed until such circumstances got eliminated. But, in the story, some of the most powerful among them would not hear his call. They vowed never to allow such teachings to continue, and they killed this wise one to extinguish that spark of divinity. What they did not know is that human aspirations transcend any one person. They rise again and again, even up against the physical loss of one or more among us. What they could not know was that by killing this one person, they only caused that spark to grow stronger, carried forward in the hearts of those of us who wish to dwell in, lo in love and in all that is life-giving. Same story, but told with different metaphors and expressing a very different set of values. Not to mention far less blood and gore than in that old Mel Gibson film about it. And I think it is important for us to reclaim and recast some of these ancient stories because they've been implanted into the very foundational structures of our society.
Social and political science has found that these myths are transmit, transmitted even into modern secular societies where for even the non-religious, they are enculturated through the ethno-symbols, memories, values, rituals, and traditions embedded within the ongoing practices of a people. They are present even within the very language in which we think and speak. Some of you may have heard me talk before about how when I was five years old, I told my mom I was going to be a minister when I grew up. But we were Southern Baptists, and when I found that they rejected me and I rejected them, I created a story about what all religion was, and so thoroughly rejected the religious stories of my childhood that I left myself with absolutely no context within which to even consider ministry. It wasn't until many years later that I found Unitarian Universalism and began to feel a calling toward ministry resurging. I began to recreate my own story about religion, as well as reframe the religious stories of my childhood so that I could finally fulfill the aspiration to which I had been called all those years. And I think that it is vital that we, as a liberal religious faith, find ways to reframe some of these religious stories, even though we may have opposed or even been hurt by the beliefs and theology they have sometimes been used to express. They are a part of the very fabric of the culture and country in which we live. And far too often, Far too often, they are being used to cast a narrative that justifies vast wealth inequality, authoritarianism, violence, oppression, hyper-individualism, and the destruction of our planet. The stories we tell and the ways in which we tell them define us as human beings. Now, I think we don't yet know how our experience with the pandemic may be altering some of our narratives, but, but that may actually provide us with opportunities. Opportunities to change ourselves, our relationships, our communities, our nation, and our world for the better. Opportunities to recondition some of these stories that have already been let loose in our world so that they express interconnectedness, love, and justice as their central metaphors instead of those negative aspects I was just talking about. From time to time, we may even have to create new stories. And that possibly may not be as hard as it might seem. Maybe we dive into the deep, bring up a little mud, and begin the act of creation over and over again. May we sing and dance as we do so. Now please join me, if you wish, in saying our words for extinguishing our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. As we close our service and return to our daily lives, may we bless ourselves with stories of love, justice, and worthiness. I wish you peace. I send you much love.
This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.